This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today's podcast is going to be a unique one for you because this is, uh, I think I can safely say this, the first time I've ever done an entire podcast episode about a poem. Yeah, I know. I know all you tough guys out there. You just cringed when you heard the word poem because I know it's like, hey, poetry's for wussies. We don't really do poems. We don't write them. We don't read them all. Okay, and dude, I get it because here's the thing. I'm just going to be honest with you from the jump. I don't really get poetry. I don't really understand it. It's not really something that I'm in that familiar with, to be honest. Uh, I've got some friends that have written some poetry. Um, they've got like poetry and books and different things, and I, I just don't get it. Uh, I read a big book, uh, the book of man that I've suggested to you guys on this podcast before. It's a one on, it's on our book list on our website, the hundred books, every modern Christian man should read list. And there's a ton of poems throughout there. And about a third of the way through the book, I just stopped even trying, right? I'll, I'll just straight up admit it to you. Here's the guy that's always challenging you to read and push yourself and all that. I just stopped trying. Cause it's like, dude, I'm not getting this. I'm not quite understanding, but I came across a poem, uh, because I was interviewed on a podcast. It was the thank the universe podcast. And this guy, uh, was doing kind of a deep dive into manhood and what manliness means and masculinity and all these different things. So he wanted me to come on and speak about that, but he mentioned the poem. If that's I F if by Rudyard Kipling, and um, obviously having not been a literature major, or done a lot of poetry or short stories or anything like that, I had never heard of this guy. Okay. But even if you haven't heard of Rudyard Kipling, you've heard of some of his work. So just to give you a little background on this guy, he was born in December of 1865 and died in January of 1936. Uh, this was an Englishman, a uh, journalist, writer, poet. Uh, his most famous book is the jungle book, right? So we all know that at least from the Disney movie. Um, but he was seen by many kind of at his time in history as an innovator in the world of short stories. Okay. So short stories apparently hasn't always been a thing. And this guy is one of the main innovators of that whole movement. The guy even won the Nobel Prize uh, in literature in 1907, uh, and he won that at the age of 41. You don't really see a lot of folks that are that young winning that award, but the unique thing about when he won it, he was actually the first English language writer to receive that award, uh, and he was the youngest writer at that time, up to that point, to receive that award, which is which is pretty incredible. Uh, but if, the poem If is considered by many uh, to be his most famous, if, if not his greatest poem uh, uh, written in his entire Entire career. And so the thing about this poem, again, uh, for whatever reason, there's some things that when I read it, I can really jive with it and I can really get into it. But other times I feel like I need to listen to it to actually kind of get the sense of what it's all about. So I read this poem and I feel like I got it a little bit, but then for whatever reason, I, I plugged in if uh, Rudyard Kipling into YouTube. And I found a really interesting recording, or it was a video rather of Dennis Hopper reading it. Okay. So if you're not familiar with Dennis Hopper, I'm sure you would recognize his face. Uh, he's been in a lot of things on television and movies. I think, I don't know. He, he had a bunch of villain roles back in the nineties. I think he was the bad guy in the movie speed, something like that. But this was actually a recording of him reciting this poem on the Johnny Cash show. So it, the Johnny Cash show was like 1969, 1970, 1971. It was kind of a short-lived show, but I mean, Johnny Cash was kind of the host of this variety show and things like that. 
And so it was really interesting. The audio on it is, is, isn't the greatest. Cause again, this is late sixties, early seventies audio, but I just wanted to let you hear somebody else read it. I was thinking about reading it uh, myself, but I didn't know if I could really do the poem justice. But what I want to do is I want to let Dennis Hopper read this for you guys. And I'll, I'll include the link later. So if you want to watch it visually, you can certainly do that. And then we're going to break down the poem you know, basically line by line. And again, I know for some of you guys are like, okay, this is going to be one of Kyle's podcasts that I skip. Just hang with me. All right. There's a lot in this very short poem. There is a lot to talk about. So let's go into Dennis Hopper's uh, reading of that here, his recitation rather. And then we'll uh, be back here just a second after he's done with that. And it's called if, if is the middle word. We got a special spot for you. Dennis Hopper, ladies and gentlemen. If you can keep your head when all about you losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you. But make allowance for the doubting too. Or being lied about. Don't deal in lies. Or being hated. Don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good and talk too wise. If you can dream, but not make dreams your master. If you can think, but not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph hmm, and disaster, and you just treat these two imposters just the same. Or bear to hear the truth that you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Or watch the things that you've given your life to broken. And stoop and build them up again with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings, huh? And risk it in one turn of pitch and toss and lose. Start again at your beginnings. Never breathe the word about your loss. If you can force your heart and your nerve and your sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there's nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings but never lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distant run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. Which is more, you're going to be a man, my son.
So I thought that was a pretty good reading there. I thought, you know, it was it was dramatic, and I'm sure back in the 60s and 70s that, that seemed really awesome. And it's just cool. Anytime you get to hear Johnny Cash's voice on anything, he has one of those voices that just are super unique. And I'm literally sitting here in my studio, and I've got a Johnny Cash action figure looking back at me. I couldn't exactly tell what he said there at the end. If you go back to, like, the last five seconds of the clip, he, uh, Johnny Cash is telling Dennis Hopper, hey, I'm going to remember that, and I'm going to sing it with June Carter. Or like, I just, I couldn't remember. I couldn't really pull out what he said, but they, they shared a little moment there if you watch the video. But the thing is, is obviously this entire poem builds up to that last sentence. And in that last sentence, uh, he kind of actually botched it. There's there's a few times in this recitation where he gets the words a little bit wrong, but you still get the gist of it. But the, the last sentence is, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. So you're reading through this entire thing. And again, the poem is called If, and there are 13 if statements that are made here. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to break down each one of those statements because I think there's some good nuggets to pull out for us, but especially for you guys that are raising young men, right? So whether they're newborn or, you know, 30 years old, whatever the thing is, is you're still technically raising them. You're still father to these, to these guys. And I think there's some interesting nuggets for you guys out there that have sons. So let's go into the first if statement here at the very top. And that's if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. So the thing about this is you look at certain situations and I'm kind of reminded of things from books like Extreme Ownership or The Dichotomy of Leadership or really any of these military books. I just mentioned uh, the two that were written by Jocko Willink and Lake Babin. But in a lot of these situations, the guys who are most successful in war are the ones that can keep their wits about them, right? And especially in a lot of these other situations, I even uh, recall my stepdad talking about uh, when he was in the army, he was in these tank divisions. And it was the the guys at basic training that were screaming and pounding their chest the most, right? Man, I just can't wait to get over there and kill me some terrorists and blah, blah, blah. And those types of guys that as soon as the bullets started whizzing past their heads, those were the guys that were, you know, basically pissing themselves in the bottom of the tank, right? And so it's one of those situations where you have to be calm so that you can be definitive. And so that's the thing is in a lot of these situations, when these people are in, in frantic type situations, it's hard for them to understand why you're not frantic as well. And so the second part of that is are losing theirs and blaming it on you, right? That may be one of those situations where they're freaking out. They don't understand why you're not freaking out, but a good virtue, a good uh, thing for men to strive for, especially young men is, can you control yourself? I even know for me, like as a, as a young kid and even into young adulthood, I really did struggle with self-control and and it was mainly with anger, right? I just, I, I couldn't keep my anger under control. And it was one of those things that I've had to really work towards kind of getting a governor put on top of that. So that's an important statement right there. The second if statement is this, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. So what I think of whenever I hear this statement is You've got to have self-confidence. I mean, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty duh from that first statement, right? Is trust yourself when all men doubt you. But the thing is, is when someone doubts you, you do need to investigate where their doubt is coming from. Now, once you do that investigation, you might think to yourself, okay, they're just jealous. So you investigate it, you get to the bottom of it and you, uh, they're just jealous. They want you to slow down so that you don't make them look as bad right? Um, and they think if you succeed, it's just going to continuously make them further and further away from you in other people's eyes. But in other cases, 
Some people are going to doubt you and their doubts are merited. These are people that have watched you not be able to control yourself. And so when you need to be in a situation where self-control is paramount, they're going to doubt that you can make that happen. If you continuously underperformed and now we have another project, a big project that's in front of the team and you've continued to underperform, you should look at their doubt and take it seriously. Think about it in a, in a team context. If every time that you've had runners on base, you've struck out, like you kind of freak out because you see that runner sitting out there on second, you're, all you want to do is bring them home and then you just you know clam up and you strike out, the team shouldn't be terribly confident the next time that there's a runner on second. You know what I mean? And so for you to understand that and have the self-awareness to where you can actually dig into that and think through that, that helps you prepare. And I know you use some, some examples that I think most of you guys will recognize, but I'm sure even as I describe that, you thought of other examples as well. So the third if statement is this, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. So the first part of that is, again, is if you can wait and not be tired of waiting, that's just patience. And I mean, guys out there, raise your hands if you're one of the guys that struggles with patience, right? It's just, I I can't stand it. That's why you get angry behind the wheels because you're selfish because you think you're the only guy on the road, but also you got somewhere to be. You got somewhere to be, man. But again, just another reminder that we need to be patient. I don't think I need to beat that dead horse. The next line of that is, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. So, uh, it was funny. I was listening to a podcast today. It was Graham Allen's podcast where he was, um, on with a representative Dan Crenshaw. So if you don't know who Dan Crenshaw is, he's a former Navy SEAL Harvard uh, graduate, and now he is a state representative or sorry, it's a uh, house of representatives representative for Texas. Um, he lost his eye in war. Uh, so he's always, uh, you know, walking around with an eye patch and all that's pretty dope. Um, he's a lot of people are wanting him to run for president in 2024, you know, those types of things. But this is a guy that was talking about, you know, they, they kind of asked him, you know, him and his wife were being interviewed. And it's like, what's the hardest part? What's the hardest power, part about being in public life, being in the political sector? And they were just like, man, it's when people lie about you, when people purposely mislead the public about things that you've said or things on your record, and you spend so much time and energy and focus just trying to correct the record. But the thing about it is, is some people fight lies with lies. I mean, especially in the political sphere. So someone, you know, prints something or says something that is in direct contradiction to something that you've said before, and you could just make up a lie right back because see, here's the thing. And most of the media knows this. That's why they do it this way. They'll get you with the lead of the story and the title of the story. Even if in that story, three or four or 10 paragraphs down, they basically go against what was said in the lead. They know most people don't read past the lead, right? They know most people don't even go past that. So they're operating in lies and they're thinking about things in terms of lies. But again, it's okay if you're being lied about, don't deal in lies. And the next side or being hated, don't give way to hating. It's kind of the same thing. Some of us have experienced real hatred. And this could be from busted relationships. It could be from people being racist. It could be from people being judgmental. It could be from people, you know, evaluating their religion as being above yours. Some of us have actually looked at situations and can surmise that, yes, this is hate going on right now. But the thing about it is, is being hateful only begets more hate. So you do what you can to go, you know, basically go to the other side of that continuum. And the last little line here was, and yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. I think that's obviously talking about being humble, having humility. And for for you guys out there that are very alpha and very talented, this is going to be difficult for you, right? 
And so if, if you have some of those characteristics, you're competitive, you're alpha, you're an achiever, you're a maximizer. Sometimes you're, you're going to walk around with your head a little bit too high and your chest puffed out a little bit too much. And I mean, I got to watch that. I know a lot of guys in my life that have to watch that. But again, it's just another reminder that humility wins out. The next if statement, this is the fourth one, is this. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. So I think the obvious thing here, and I think there's a corollary here for the Christians that are listening, is a lot of us have dreams and we have aspirations. Those things can become idols. Because if dreams become your master, then nothing that you have at this exact moment is going to be good enough. So you think about guys that, you know, they, they just moved into a new house and they're already kind of looking around and they see stuff on, you know, Facebook or on Zillow about a friend that moved into a better house in a better neighborhood, right? With a bigger pool or whatever the thing might be. And all of a sudden you were excited a day ago. Now you're not excited anymore. And so your dream has shifted this, this idol of having things and having people look at what you have and being impressed by it is, is all of a sudden your master. Because the, the point here is not to, you know, not have dreams. We should obviously have dreams and aspirations, but you should also pass that through the filter of, is this what God wants for me? Because if you spend all this time and effort building this lifestyle that, you know, is surrounded around things that you have and trips that you take and people that you hang out with, it's going to be that much harder if God says, Hey, I need you to sell everything and move to like the middle of nowhere, Asia and spread the goodness of my name. I mean, it's going to be difficult. I mean, what was the parable? It was, you know, it'd be harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's one of those types of situations, right? So we have to make sure that we can master our dreams or probably better yet, give the keys to God and let him master that. Let's go to the fifth if statement here. And it's this, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim. So I remember whenever I was hearing Dennis Hopper even just go through it just now, the immediate word that came to mind was action. Because I know so many guys that are thinkers, right? They just think and reason and they're trying to, you know, basically traverse certain situations and all they want to do is think about it. But if thoughts are your aim, you're never going to get anything going. You're, you're never going to get actual tangible results because you're just going to be intellectualizing and theorizing about things. So if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, we should all be thinkers. Again, you probably heard me say this a lot on this podcast. I want us to be thinking Christians. I want us to be thinking active type Christians. But at the same time, thoughts and thinking alone can't be your aim. That's why when I read some of these philosophers and it's just like, okay, what do you do for a living? I'm a philosopher. It's like, really? So you're like a professional useless person. Like you don't, you just think all day. Is that all you do? It's like, bro, you're not going to come out and be one of the world's greatest philosophers. I mean, it's, it's just almost every good idea is already taken. You know what I mean? It's one of those deals. Like, I know that's a little bit judgmental for me to say, but it's just like at the same time, it's, it, you're just thinking all day. It's like, have you done anything? Oh no, I just think. And then let other people read my words and let it move them to action. It's like, okay, bro, <laughs> like whatever you want to do. But again, the encouragement here on, on this fifth if statement is just basically, you can't just let thoughts be your aim. You got to take action at some point. So the sixth statement is this. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. So if you're actually looking at the text of the poem, the words triumph and disaster are capitalized, right? 
So like they're proper nouns. And I thought that this was really interesting because a lot of us spent, that's kind of the carrot and stick dichotomy. So you have triumph, right? You know, that's, that's the carrot, you know, you're working for the carrot and the disaster. That's the stick, right? You're just trying to avoid that at all costs. And for me personally, I'm more motivated by potential disaster than I am for triumph. Now, everyone's kind of on a continuum, right? You know, there's somewhere in between those two. Not everyone's probably going to be completely to one side or the other, but I definitely lean more towards the disaster side. And so I think what this is saying is you need to be leveled out. You need to be leveled out right there in the middle because triumph and disaster, again, it calls them imposters and you should treat them just the same. And so if you can even out that fear and that excitement, so the fear of basically uh, succumbing to disaster or the excitement of reaching that point of triumph. I think it's, it's a great thing for us all to remember that the motivation doesn't win the day. It's the outcome that wins the day. So regardless of, of what you're motivated by, there still needs to be movement, which goes back to the last statement that there's got to be action. So the seventh statement is this, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you give your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. So the the cool thing about this, there's a lot of things in here. And, and again, if this guy was alive, I'd love to kind of hear why he, he put things this way. But it's basically where you see your life, the things that you've created, and they don't work out for whatever reason. So for some of you guys listening to this, maybe it's your marriage that broke down. Maybe it's a business that you built that didn't quite work out. Maybe it's a job that you were let go from. Maybe it's a relationship with a family member, a sibling, or even your children, something like that. And for whatever reason, it's broken. Do you have the ability to build it back up? And are you even going to try? I think that's pretty important. But I like the last few words. It's build them up with worn out tools. So what this is assuming is that the tools that you're using are, are have, they're used. I mean, they, they've actually been used before, right? So you've been building other things. You may have even been trying to build up the situation that now you would consider to be broken. So I think it's important and I don't know if, if he put a ton of meaning there with the, the idea of worn out tools, but in that entire little section, the word worn out was the one that, that really made sense to me because it implies that there's been work that's been done up to this point. Not that, you know, you waited until everything was broken and then we're just going to pull these brand new shiny tools out to try and fix things. It's like, nope, we're just going to stoop down. We're going to build back up with what we can. We're going to use what's here in front of us and we're going to make it happen. So maybe I'm reading a little bit too far into that, but that's what I got out of that section. So let's go to the eighth if statement here. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. Okay. So obviously uh, I'm not advocating that you guys uh, put it all on red seven or whatever the thing is. I don't know that I've ever played the game, Uh, but like, you know, this isn't an all in type deal, right? So guys, let's just, you know, you're a real man. If you can take all your winnings and just push it into one hand, like I don't think anybody's advocating for that, but I think it's really key what he says at the very end there and never, and never breathe a word about your loss. So something that I've seen from some guys, not a whole lot of guys that I keep close to me now, these guys just love to talk about how hard of a life that they've had. 
Oh, you know, when I lost this job. Or, oh, you know, when I got screwed over by this person. Oh, you know, when my wife left me. And, oh, you know, when this. And when the church just didn't see it my way. And ah, just whatever. And they're just a broken record of nonsense. It's just stuff that didn't work out. And the whole time in my head when those people are talking, I'm like, these dudes would really get some use out of reading Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Because if you haven't read that book and if you haven't heard him talk about that concept, it's about taking ownership of everything and realizing that if it's a situation where you're involved, you have an impact on the outcome. Even when things seem completely outside of your control, there's some bit of it, even if it comes down to the planning that is in your control. But the thing about it is this is my encouragement to guys out there. If that's you, if you're constantly complaining and constantly thinking about ways that life has done you wrong and people have done you wrong, what are you gaining from that? How has your life improved since you've been thinking that way and operating in that way? Because there's some virtue in the guys that endure loss and endure things quietly. Now, what I'm not saying is if you're hurting, right, that, that if you're if you're hurting down to your soul, I mean, if your family is falling apart around you, that you should just sit there and take it like a man. That's not what I'm saying. There are certainly times when you should reach out and talk to people. Dude, I, I don't. What was it? Two months ago, I have a podcast called Loss, where I talk about my wife and I losing two babies in the last year. So obviously, I'm not advocating for complete silence. But at the same time, if you are just this incessant bullhorn of negativity and all these things that have happened to you, at what point are you helping yourself and you're certainly not helping the people around you? And have you noticed, if that's the type of guy you are, that you don't have a lot of friends hanging around? Want to hear the latest story about how life kicked you in the gonads? I mean, have you thought about that at all? Have you noticed that people don't really want to be around that? And it's not just about people like, oh, I just don't really want to be around him. He's bringing me down. It's even deeper than that. Because you're making them think about all the things in their life that haven't gone their way either. Guess what? A lot of us have gotten a raw deal. We were dealt a raw hand from the beginning. But you have to play it. That's where I get so confused by these people, and to get a little bit political here, but these people that talk about privilege and the things that one person gets above them, it's like, well, man, would I have preferred to have been born six foot six with tremendous athletic ability? far and away above what I have now, you're darn right that there's a chance I could have turned that into millions and millions of dollars, right? But I wasn't dealt that. I'm five foot 10, slightly above average height, right? But that's the hand I was dealt. Some people, you know, they talk about their race or they talk about their gender and they, everything's just an excuse to complain about, oh, how the world has just been so unfair to me. It's like, bro, be an overcomer. Like how many great stories are written about people that just lived up to their current circumstances? That's not, no one's making a movie about that. No one's reading a book about somebody that just lived a normal life. And, you know, every time life knocked them down, they stayed on the mat for an extra few seconds. It's always those stories of people that overcome. So be thinking through that. All right, guys, ninth if statement here. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew, to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. So will here in the last little, um, last little section is capitalized, right? So another proper noun there. 
So I think there's a few ways to take this. Um, and I, and I could be missing it out, missing out on it here. But the way that I took that is it kind of even goes back to the podcast I did a few episodes ago called go there. Now it's probably a little bit deeper than that. The, the go there thing was basically talking about how dudes just give up on working out way too, way too early. And they're just a little bit too soft. Um, so on a micro level, I would say that this, this kind of goes on to that. So hold on when there is nothing in you, except the will, which says to them, hold on, right. You know, just hold on to, you know, the bar just a little bit longer, you know, uh, to put a little bit more weight on the bar, whatever the situation might be. But I think the macro side of that could even go as far as suicide. And I'm, I'm just kind of spitballing here. I didn't really plan to talk about this side of it, but it's just like where you have these suicidal ideations. Uh, when life is, is really, really getting after you and you feel, uh, this dark presence on you that, you know, a, you know, psychologist that has a humanist worldview would just say, oh, that's just negative feelings. Whereas most of us that are Christians understand that that's, that's demons, that's demonic, uh, presence in your life. But this is kind of making sure that you have that inner will, that resilience to just hold on that you're in it right now. You're in the thick of it and things don't look good. And it doesn't look like you're going to get out on the other side again. I think there's a micro point to be made here and the macro point. So for some of you, it's, it's just another example of, Hey, you need to go there. Sometimes you need to, you know, just tell that in internal weak person that they need to shut up long enough for you to get through this workout. But then the other side is, is just for guys that are feeling like they've got nothing left. There's always something left. There's still a plan for you. Cause you're still here. All right, guys, 10th if statement here, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with Kings, nor lose the common touch. So the thing about this here that I think of, because I find myself up in front of groups talking somewhat often is it's kind of enticing and intoxicating and attractive when you get up in front of a group of people and you make them laugh and they're having a good time and you teach them something and they come up to you afterwards and they're just like, man, you did such a great job. Thank you so much for coming about. It makes you feel good. I mean, I I had a good buddy of mine come up to me uh, at the gym on Sunday and he just goes, man, you're really good at podcasts. Like, dude, you're just, you're just awesome at it. And I just wanted to tell you, no, hello, not, Hey, Hey, Kyle, how's it going? He just went right into that. He's like, dude, I need to give you a hug. You're good at this. And I was like, man, this is like a really smart dude, a guy that I respect a lot. And to give me that compliments, like, you know, shoot, I'll take that. But man, that can go to your head, right? It kind of can be hard for you to keep your virtue. I know that there's some guys out there. I've heard these stories about these guys that go around, they do keynote presentations and then they end up cheating on their wives. Because all that excitement of it goes to their head. And then there's usually some tramp up in the audience. That's like, Hey, I'd love to wreck your home life. How about we go back to my hotel room? Right? So it started with a, an innocent enough conversation that ended up at the bar that ended up in their bedroom. Right? That's just kind of how it goes. But the second side of that is, or walk with Kings nor lose the common touch. I think for some of you guys out there, especially if you've done well in business, if you've done well in life, if you were popular in school, all those different things. Sometimes you end up in rooms with people that are, that are important. I mean, maybe there are people that are worth a lot of money. Maybe they're uh, politicians or athletes or something like that. But the thing about it is, is you should never lose that ability to have that common touch. Again, it comes back to being humble. So if you're one of those people that is, is well to do or well known, or you are one degree of separation from people that are like that, treat it like it's old hat. You know, because they, they're not Jesus. So they might be a pretty cool person. They might be an interesting person, but man, they just don't even rank. Just treat them as such. 
I remember back in 2012, I had a, a fairly unique opportunity to help out Major League Baseball up in New York with this marketing thing that they were doing called the MLB Fan Cave. And we were around, literally in nine months, hundreds and hundreds of current players, former players, uh, Hall of Famers, uh, celebrities, musicians, uh, actors and actresses, models. Like There were just people that were around all the time. But the thing I had to constantly remind myself of is like, these are just people. I mean, I remember one time when Derek Jeter walked in, it was just like, dude, you're in the middle of New York and Derek Jeter walks in and you're sitting there just talking to the captain towards the end of his career. It's like, whew, that's DJ. Like, man, that's the captain right there. But at the same time, it's like, he's just a regular dude. He doesn't want to be bothered. Like he doesn't want people meddling in his personal life. He wants to have fun. He wants to enjoy himself and he wants to do well while he's on the field. Right. Kind of like us. You know what I mean? Just trying to get through life, trying to enjoy himself, trying to do well at work type of a thing. So regardless of who you're around, you should be able to be the same person. You should be the same person with, you know, the celebrity or the politician or the rich person or whatever, as you are with just your neighbor that's asking for help for something, right? You should be able to continue to comport yourself in the same way. All right, just a few statements left here. So here's number 11. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. So again, going to have to bust the word out again, resilience. Because the thing about it is, you know, guys, you've got people that don't like you and you've got people that like you a lot and they can hurt you the same. Now, there's going to be a little bit more psychological strain when someone that you love hurts you or lets you down or backstabs you, double crosses you, that type of thing. But the thing is, is we've got to stand. So we'll take this from, from the secular point of view and then we'll take this from the Christian point of view. The secular point of view is you got to be able to depend on yourself. And you got to make sure that you are impenetrable to other people's arrows, right? Don't let anyone bother you. My dad always used to tell me, Kyle, don't sweat the small stuff. And I always thought about that. Just let it roll off your back. Don't worry about it. But then on the Christian side of things, these are just people that are in your life that need Jesus too. Whether they hate you and they're doing things actively to destroy your life, whether they're loving friends of yours that will never live up to the expectations that they have for themselves, much less the expectations that you have for them, understand that every single one of you has fallen short of the glory of God, that you don't have anything to add to what Jesus has already done and accomplished on the cross. I mean, sorry to be the wet blanket here, but isn't that the truth? I mean, because really, the people here on this earth can only hurt you so bad as to take your life, right? That's the worst thing that somebody could do to you or take the lives of, of those that, they, that you love most. But again, whether you're thinking of this as a, as a humanist point of view, secular humanist type point of view, or if you're thinking about this from a you know Christian Imago Dei point of view, you got to make sure that people can't hurt you. Whether you're going through actual persecution or just the persecution that you've made up in your head. All right, 12th statement here. If all men count with you, but none too much. So as I read through that again, if all men count with you, but none too much, um, the way that I take this and I've, I've reserved full, uh, responsibility or the, the right to change my mind later. Um, I've kind of had to read through that line several times. And again, if all men count with you, but none too much, the best I can come up with in my, in my brain is that, that men, Okay, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, but basically people are important to you. Men are important to you, but there's not any man around you that is so overwhelmingly important. 
I know it took me like forever <laughs> to just spit that out. And some of you guys are like, okay, Kyle, Kyle, come on, let's go. We get it. But again, men count, men matter. Like the people around you, they matter to you, but none of them matter overwhelmingly too much. Cause I know a lot of people, uh, including myself at different points, you put some people in your life up on a pedestal and it kind of goes back to the last thing. I mean, foes or loving friends, uh, being able to hurt you. You put these people that you really, really like on this pedestal and then they just let you down. Or they actively do something that doesn't have your best interest at heart. But I think it's good for us to understand that it is important for us to trust that we can have men around us, especially like what I talk about all the time, foxhole guys, that can matter to you. But don't make them an idol either. I mean, some of you guys out there, you've got, you've got deep friendships. Maybe you grew up with a guy. Uh, You both went to the same college, you got into the same frat or you played on the same team and you know, you both got married near around the same time. You're the best man in each other's weddings. And you kind of got this crew of guys, maybe from, from college or high school or work or something like that, or the military or the police academy. And it's just like, that's like your crew and you should adore that crew and you should cultivate those relationships on a constant basis. But again, don't make them an idol. Because again, I talk about my Sunday night crew all the time, that group of dudes that's like, that's, that's my group, right? Like that, that is, I I just wish I had found them earlier, right? So that I could have deeper relationships with these guys. But, you know, we're just all wired the same. You know, we, we challenge each other. Like we just like that, right? This is real iron. You know, this is real iron sharpening iron. Like I just freaking love it. But those relationships shouldn't become overly important to the detriment of my number one relationship on this earth, which is my relationship with my wife and my number one relationship in the universe, which is my relationship with Jesus. Right. And again, there I go saying relationship. I know I've talked about, you shouldn't say it's a relationship with Jesus, but again, I mean, that's the discipleship setup that I have with with the, the Lord of the universe and the savior of us all. That's a very, very important thing. All right, guys, last if statement here, if you can fill the unforgiving minute, with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. And so at this point, you have to take the totality of everything that we've talked about up to this point. And imagine being a young boy. I'm thinking of, you know, a nine, 10 year old, right? You're hitting your growth spurts, you know, your body's changing, things inside your brain are changing, you're learning a lot of things, you're getting stronger, you're getting faster, the world's becoming more confusing around you by the day. And I'm just imagining for the fathers out there with sons, can you imagine that if you, if you can read this poem or listen to this poem and understand it yourself, what it would be like if you could pass on that same understanding to your son? Think of the impact and the overall power that would be able to uh, be bestowed upon your son by you. I mean, this goes back to where, you know, I'm so, so much looking forward to the fact that I may have a son someday, almost just so I could do rites of passage, just so I can help usher this young boy to manhood. And part of that is going to be by challenging him to read things like this and get stuff out of it. Because again, I just walked you through it line by line and I told you what I got out of it. Like there, there might be a commentary out, out there where Kipling basically explains line by line what he thinks. But as with most poetry, there's the intent of the writer, but then there's also the interpretation of the reader. They read it and they, they get something out of it that's different than the person that read it right next to him. 
And so I think this provides an ample opportunity for dads out there to put this in front of their sons, not only so that they can read it and get the depth of understanding, but let your son see you live these things out. If you mess up on one of these if statements, be the first one to point it out to your son. Say, son, I fell short. I fell short here. I wasn't humble in that moment. And I know I've been teaching you that you need to be humble. And I know that you've seen dad be humble in a lot of situations, but you just got to know the way that I acted in that situation where you saw me, that was inappropriate. Maybe even apologize to him. I'm sorry, son. And I also want you to see me pray to Jesus. I want you to see me pray to God for forgiveness in this moment. And I want you to see me ask for his, for, for, for his forgiveness. I want you to see me repent, which means to turn away from my previous self and my previous actions. Just think about just the, the living benefit of something like that to where you have a walking, talking man in your life that is modeling these amazing things to you. And again, I don't know if Rudyard Kipling is a, is a Christian or, or was a Christian. Uh, obviously, he passed away a long time ago, almost 100 years ago. But this is a guy that all soaked throughout this poem. You can pull out Christian truths. Because again, God gave us logic. God gave us the entire universe. And you can take all that and dial it in and be able to put it into a poem like this that you can chew on and let other people in your life that are important to you chew on. It's a pretty amazing thing. All right, guys, we're going to do a quick resilience boost before we let you get out of here. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for you today, I've got the Wikipedia page for Rudyard Kipling. So you can kind of read up on his life. Dude had a very, very interesting life. I've got a copy of the Jungle Book. I haven't read it yet. So it's kind of getting me excited to potentially dig into that. And then I've got the YouTube video of uh, Dennis Hopper on the Johnny Cash show reading the if poem. So that's the audio that we had for you earlier, but I want you to see it visually if you'd like to dig into that as well. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. If you use the hashtag on Daunted Life, we'll be sure to find your post and give it a thumbs up. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one. That is how this podcast will continue to grow. The algorithms love when you let them know that you're liking the content, but don't forget to leave a few comments as well. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2019 and 2020. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, to your men's event, at your conference, whatever, just hit me up, info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.